Good morning. So each week of this Advent uh, season, we have been challenging each other to prepare, to make a room for God to work in our lives. The people we read about or we read about in our Bible years and years and years ago made room during the first Advent season um, as they awaited his arrival as well. So, so far, we have learned about Zechariah, who had to um, wait for God and how this old man wanted to be a father so bad, but he had to wait for God to provide a way. We've learned about Mary, who um, had to, who God worked through her inadequacies and her insecurities. Um, this unwed teenage um, girl who was going to become the mother of the Messiah, who the anticipation of that and his arrival um, was something that she had to make room for. Um, during this Advent season. And we've learned about Elizabeth, who had to make room for God to work through her community, how she held space for her desires to be a mother and Mary's um, desires to be the mother to the Messiah uh, at the same time. So we have already learned so much. So I feel like we're good, right? We're just gonna take today off. We're gonna go grab some hot cocoa because our brains are, right? But Joel says no, I already asked. Um, but we have also learned that Advent wasn't actually a religious word to begin with as well because Advent in our uh, world means arrival, right? So how in the ancient word, world, Advent was this super common word. It wasn't a religious word at all about announcing the arrival of a Roman emperor coming to town, this season of preparing and waiting and renovating things to make room for the king to come. Well, religious people kind of adapted the word, as we tend to do, to talk about the arrival of Jesus, to make room for Jesus in their hearts. So thinking about the arrival of Jesus in this Advent season has had me thinking through my own Advent season and preparation of guests and gifts and, you know, gaining weight. I mean, like yummy goodies. But how am I preparing, right? Well, I have bought four gifts and two of those are for our daughter's boyfriends. So I would say that things are going really well, like so well. Um, I have not thought about what I'm taking to family gatherings. I haven't even started on the annual grandparent photo calendar that is a requirement. I haven't learned how to say three French hens in French, which is a long story that has to do with our international student and my grandma's uh, Christmas activity shenanigans before we can uh, open presents on Christmas. But, um, you know, things are good, right? We're, we're fine. But um, it made me think, what if Jesus was coming over, right? What if I was anticipating his arrival on my doorstep? How would I prepare for that kind of arrival? I think it would probably look something like this. Gotta clean the house now, 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 people. I want this place looking like Disney on ice. 
in one minute. Harry, if you haven't made your bed, throw it away. It's too late to make it now. Company is coming. Get rid of the couches. We can't let people know we sit. The chairs need to be pushed in. There cannot be any sign of living in this house. I don't care if we have to throw everything out. I want this place looking like a new Mediterranean fusion restaurant by noon. Just me? <laughs> uh, it's amazing, honestly, how much cleaning I can get done in the 15 minutes before someone actually shows up to our house because that's when it seems super important to put all the dishes uh, that are piled up in the sink, in the dishwasher, the uh, shoes that are scattered all throughout the house in a closet, um, how, you know, we need to clean out the gutters like right now because they might look at them or something. I don't know. But have you ever stopped to ask yourself, like, what is actually going on behind this frantic preparation? Like, why do we do it? What am I doing, right? And I think it's this. How we prepare for something reveals what's actually important to us. It reveals what we think matters the most. Yet if Jesus were showing up to your front door, is cleaning up our act or frantically making ourselves look better than maybe what we actually are really the most important thing, like how do we make sure that the center of our preparation, that we center our preparation around what really matters? These are great questions that I'm glad you asked um, because today we're going to wrap up this series by talking about a person who may at first seem kind of like a side note in the Christmas story, but in reality, his story plays a massive role in what God was doing. And that person is John, or you may know him as John the Baptist as he got older and started his public ministry. But like you and me, John came as a baby to Zachariah and Elizabeth, who we talked about earlier in this series um, who thought that they would never be able to have children. So his birth story, his origin is miracle enough, right? But John will play a key role in the work that God is doing in the world. So his role was to prepare the people for Jesus. When John grows up and begins his public ministry, we see what this preparation actually entails. So Luke, who wasn't an original follower of Jesus, he was just a guy like you and me trying to figure out if this guy who called himself the Messiah really was who he said he was. He was a doctor. He's just a normal guy trying to figure out who this guy really is. But in his gospel, he starts by saying this. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests. At this time, a message from God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. John went throughout the land of Israel calling people to repentance, right? That's how they were to prepare their hearts and their minds for Jesus. So let's talk about repentance, okay? I don't know what you think about when you hear the word repent or repentance, but I think sometimes 
We think it means that we have to feel sorry or regretful or bad or that we have to hang our head in shame, you know, our shoulders slouched or grovel or sulk. Or maybe you're like me and I used to think that um, repentance was something only our Catholic friends did when they went to this dark confessional and it seemed super scary, right? But that's not really what repentance is or what it means. And in the original language of the New Testament, the word repentance is minatoa, and I won't make you say it, but it means a change of mind. So repentance is just a change of mind. Remember, this is not, was not a religious word originally. And um, so, for example, here's one way that I have repented, okay? When I was younger, growing up, I used to think that the Burger King original chicken sandwich, you know, the long one with lots of mayonnaise, lettuce, superior chicken sandwich, okay? But then somebody introduced me to the Chick-fil-A spicy chicken sandwich with extra pickle and one packet of mayonnaise. Far superior chicken sandwich, okay? So I repented because I had a change of mind. I went from Burger King original chicken sandwich to Chick-fil-A spicy chicken, extra pickle, one packet of mayonnaise, okay? Don't, don't get it messed up. But that is, that is repentance. Having a change of mind can be as easy as changing your mind about a chicken sandwich, okay? But oftentimes I think we make things harder than they need to be. Or maybe that's just me and I'm the only one, but that's okay. Um, but there are authors, biblical authors and scholars that tell us that to repent simply means to think differently or to have a change of mind. New, uh, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright actually puts it this way. He says, to repent is to rethink your entire view of reality in light of the person of Jesus. To better understand maybe how people would have been thinking about uh, this call to repentance in the first century, it might be helpful to learn a little bit maybe out of context um, of the Bible. And there's a man named Josephus who was a first century historian, um, military leader who was around during the time of Jesus. And so often he confirms many of the things that we read in our Bible because he was there, right? So in his autobiography, Josephus talks about this time in 66 AD where this bandit had plotted to kill him. And he discovers this plot, was able to foil it, obviously, because he wrote about it in his autobiography. He was dead, right? Um, but in deciding what to do with this bandit, Josephus kind of pulls him aside and basically tells the man that um, he was willing to overlook this offense if the bandit would show repentance. In the context of Josephus's words, it, this repentance was just changing his allegiance. It wasn't him feeling sorry or groveling or begging at Josephus's feet necessarily, but proving that he had changed his mind and was now committed to being loyal to Josephus. And that's what N.T. Wright is talking about uh, when he says that repentance is this call to rethink your reality through the light of the person of Jesus. Because true repentance is about allegiance to Jesus. It means to give up your own agenda, our own agendas, and follow Jesus instead. So like these 
things that we're doing, uh, maybe in, in your life or in my life, or the ways that we're behaving that no longer make sense when we look at the person of Jesus and the way he lives and the way we want to live. If these things do not line up, then we need to repent. So as John the Baptist went throughout the land of Israel, he called people to prepare their hearts and their minds for Jesus through repentance, through a change of mind, by doing things differently once they knew a different way, through this lens of Jesus. So John describes what repentance can look like when he quotes Isaiah. So it gets a little confusing, but stay with me here. So... John describes what repentance can look like by quoting Isaiah here. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, he, he's talking about John, is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled and the mountains and hills made level. The curves will be straightened and the rough places made smooth. And then all people will see the salvation sent from God. John uses challenging and compelling imagery to paint this picture for us of what repentance can look like uh, in our lives through community. And in those days, the word prepare that I have highlighted there um, was associated with this ancient custom of readying the path for the king's arrival. It was actually a construction term because we didn't, they didn't have highways and roads like we have now, right? They had these rough paths. So someone had to go and prepare the road. They had to fill in these holes. They had to remove rocks or I don't even know what all they had to do, but they had to make the road smooth for the king's arrival. And Jesus the king is coming and John the Baptist's role was to prepare the way. So how do we level the roads in our own lives this Christmas? How do we prepare ourselves for Jesus? When we look back at these verses in Luke, perhaps the images that he uh, gave us are an invitation to kind of explore where in our own lives we can uh, make room by pursuing repentance. So let's look back at the verse. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him, the valleys will be filled. So we're going to stop there, right? Because what does it mean for us practically today to have every valley filled in? For me, this immediately makes me think of like the deficits and the voids in my life. Are there things like grief or abandonment uh, over past regrets that have become these valleys in your life? Could repentance look like turning from those deficits and trusting that the coming king can bring healing and dare you might even dream redemption in those things? This imagery just makes me think of those that have been caught under. Maybe you're down here in this valley. We're not gonna fill in the valley with you on the bottom, right? You're going to be lifted up. This valley is going to be filled in like water coming up here. You are also coming up here, right? We are going to fill in these valleys so that way you will be able to just walk straight across because the path will be made smooth for you. But maybe you're waiting for an apology that's never going to come or for someone to appreciate you that's not going to come, right? Maybe forgiveness 
looks like repentance for you. And not for them necessarily, but for you. So that valley, that deficit can be filled in and you can walk smooth. Or how about what it might look for the look like for the mountains and the hills to be brought down around us and to be made level. Could these things that we have erected in our own lives, these walls, these mountains, like pride or self-reliance, keep us from depending on Jesus? I know for me, and this is gonna sound probably really weird to you, but um, a hindrance for me um, actually in my relationship with Jesus has been working at a church. <laughs> and you're probably like, the what? <laughs> right? But we work so hard for um, Sunday mornings, and we want everything to be perfect when you come because we know we have limited time with you, and you have limited time together, and you want to learn, and you want to grow, and we want everything to be amazing, right? And so oftentimes, I find myself like white-knuckling everything and trying to control everything. So that way, it's perfect when you show up. And I rely way too much on myself and way too little on him. And so maybe your repentance, like mine, involves naming those mountains, seeing those things that are in your way, like self-reliance or pride, that we have built up that stand in the way of dependence on him. And instead, how can we flatten that? and level that out and rely on him more. So what does it mean that the curves will be made straight? Are there things inside of us, good things that we long for that have become kind of disoriented or you know, these desires that have kind of gotten off track, things that have look a little crooked now that started out on the straight and narrow. Perhaps this is a reorientation of the things in our lives that you know, we have, pro have prohibited us from flourishing. There's an invitation, I think, both individually and collectively to be ruthlessly honest in our assessments about these things, these crooked roads uh, in our hearts and in our lives and in this world, um, because Jesus came to bring the kingdom of heaven down here to earth. And we talk about that a lot. And that is the invitation for us as well. This is not just a Jesus thing. This is a us doing this right now kind of thing, bringing up there down here to right the wrongs that we see, to help the marginalized among us, to do the difficult work of straightening these crooked paths for ourselves, but also for others. You guys, we can do this together. But John is pointing out too that repentance, um, if it's genuine, <laughs> it will impact the way you live your daily life. It will impact the way we all live our daily lives because it might start in your heart, this good thing that you wanna change and you wanna make straight and do differently, but it will have to end with some sort of action. You guys, it just has to. <laughs> But finally, John tells us that the rough places will be made smooth. And these words were written in a time of political upheaval and significant struggle within um, the community of Israel and the broader world around it. But the rough places or this rough patch or these rough roads being made smooth um, 
kind of conjures up this promise that the struggles of the world that we face will be mended, that our collective challenges that we face and our histories can be redeemed. Because making room for the arrival of the king means reflecting on these rough places in our own lives, our past family trauma, these hangups that keep coming up over and over again, how we can reorient them and, um, and our patterns and create new ways in the light of the coming of Jesus. So all of this imagery captures um, John the Baptist's like, call to repentance. It paints this picture for us of what it could look like to prepare the way for the king. And just as people needed to hear this hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, we need to hear this same exact call today. Those valleys can be filled in in your life. Those mountains can be brought down and made level. Those crooked paths can be made straight, you guys. And those rough roads, they can be made smooth when we do what uh, N.T. Wright suggested as well, which is rethink our entire view of reality in light of the person of Jesus. So let's talk about what is involved in repentance, right? Because you might be thinking, yeah, that sounds great. I, I would love I would love for all of that, okay? But um, I don't know how. Like, how do we actually practically make that happen? And I wanna give you three encouragements because um, this is an art. It's not a science, okay? There's not gonna be a mathematical equation that I'm gonna give you that's gonna say you do this, 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 and repentance. Um, because if it was, then I probably wouldn't be able to remember it and it would be a disaster anyways, because math, bad. Um, but these are three encouragements because this is gonna look different for all of us, right? But the first one is to get honest. And when I start thinking about where I need to get honest um, in my own life, even the thought of it kind of just gives me the ick, right? <laughs> no, thank you. Um, I'd rather not because it's so much easier to look at someone else and see the darkness in them. That's where they need to get honest. That's their problem, right? But when I start looking at myself, it's so much more difficult, right? But where are the areas in your life that you need to get honest, where you're not viewing reality through the lens of Jesus, but maybe through your own rose-colored glasses, right? And this honesty can feel like a challenge, but I'm hoping that we'll look at it more as an opportunity because maybe it's getting honest about your part in an argument that has severed a relationship that could be made whole. Maybe it's getting honest about habits in your life that others have spoke love into you um, but have called addicting or thought that they were a problem, but you, you don't see it. You think everything is fine. Repentance looks like rethinking these things through the light of Jesus. If it doesn't fit in the way of Jesus and what he's doing and how he's behaving and what he wants for you, then it does not fit, you guys. It doesn't fit. So if you're holding on to bitterness or anger in the relationship, that doesn't vibe with the person of Jesus, okay? If you're ignoring the truth that people are speaking to you in love, that doesn't gel 
with the person of Jesus. But we need to get honest with ourselves and then do things differently when we think about the person of Jesus. And once we're able to get honest, the next encouragement is to address resistance. And that might seem super scary and kind of strong, but what it means is we have to address the areas of our life where we are resistant to change. Change is hard. <laughs> And it's disorienting and it's uncomfy, right? But what are the things that we keep holding on to that are actually keeping us from what we want the most? Maybe we say we want a drama-free, peace-filled life, but we keep hanging out with those people or involving ourselves in situations that we know aren't good for us. Maybe we want more connection or community, but we don't go to our table group or we isolate ourselves and at home instead of saying yes to the invitation to hang out with people. Author and theologian Frederick Beekner says, if there is a terror about darkness because we cannot see, there is also a terror about light because we can see. There's a terror about light because much of what we see in the light about ourselves and our world, we would rather not see, would rather not have been seen. Repentance is unpopular, you guys, because many of us are addicted to justifying our own actions and instead pointing out the darkness in others. We do not want that light on us, okay? We do not. We're pretty quick to give ourselves grace, to give ourselves a pass most of the time, right? Uh, maybe you, maybe not, maybe not you, just me, uh, have run a red light Surely not you guys. I did on the way here this morning, okay? I, I confess to 8.45. Um, <laughs> ran around light this morning, and you're like, oops, sorry. Like, didn't mean to do that. I was distracted or, you know, whatever it might be. It was going too fast to stop safely. That's, what I always, that's my excuse on the ice. I apologize. Okay, but um, maybe then when it's someone else, you're like, what are you doing? Why weren't you paying attention? You know, what? But when it's us, we're like, sorry, accident. Didn't mean to do that, right? We are always very quick to give ourselves some grace and a pass, but not so quick for everybody else. But sometimes we cling to these old ways, these things that seem familiar or comfortable because, um, that's just, it's easy, right? But to truly repent though, we have to address these areas that are difficult, these areas in our lives that we're resistant to change that, so we can make room for Jesus. The final area of encouragement I wanna offer you is to start small. So how many of you have heard the saying that everyone wants to change the world, but nobody wants to change the toilet paper? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know it sounds silly, but the science and psychology regarding change, it's the same. And it's pivotal to repentance because it suggests that starting small is the most effective way. Because as you reflect on these areas of, uh, that you might need 
to repent on in your life, what's one practical, small change that you could make consistently? Okay, we don't wanna start with something big and set ourselves up for failure, right? But there's something small that we can all do. So when you think about the mountains that need brought down, these areas of pride or self-reliance, for example, like what type of small change could you do that would lead you towards repentance and the ways of Jesus, right? Maybe it's a daily practice of journaling or meditating so that way you can even see what these mountains are around you. When you look and think about and meditate on through this lens of Jesus, what does it look like? What have you built up in your life that needs to be brought down? Or how about the valleys that need to be filled in? Are there consistent areas, deficits, places uh, that keep popping up over and over for you? Could repentance look um, like maybe scheduling an appointment with a therapist to talk about it? Or maybe even just inviting a friend into your pain and your grief by talking to them. Like what daily change could you make that could lead you towards repentance? Maybe it's even praying through those dark times of the day instead of just complaining through those dark times of the day. How could the crooked paths be made straight? Perhaps you realize you are having a drink every night because there are some painful things in your life that you haven't addressed. Maybe you feel disconnected from those you should feel the most uh, close to because you're looking at stuff on a computer that you um, probably shouldn't be looking at to numb your pain to pursue what you actually want, which is connection. Maybe that small change is calling someone up and inviting them to have coffee or to just sit with you and talk. Maybe it's having a conversation, even a difficult one, with your spouse. And finally, what rough roads need to be smoothed? Is there a long-standing conflict with a family member or a friend that you could take a step toward this holiday season? Because you guys, the pain from our past, it doesn't simply go away. It just gets projected onto our present relationships until it's tended to. Ouchie, right? So how might you move towards someone you've struggled to love in the past? Could a small change be to send a card, maybe just send a text, maybe even invite them to join you at a Christmas service. It might be uncomfy, but you guys, there's gonna be a lot of people here and it'll be fine, we got you, okay? But what could it look like to smooth those roads? What's one small step that you can take today? So as we wrap up, I just want you to consider this. Maybe it's a challenge to you, but what if the church collectively was a safe space for people to wrestle with these loyalties? Maybe they've been loyal to these other things in their life and now are thinking about being loyal to King Jesus this Advent season. Like what does it look like to get ruthlessly honest with yourself and probably a little uncomfy, okay? taking these step steps towards 
repentance this holiday season. I wanna be the type of community, you guys, that's not afraid to name those mountains that says, yes, I rely on myself too much and I need to rely on him more. I want to be that type of community that's just willing to expose these things in our lives and then make them level together. The significance of the arrival of Jesus, the arrival of our King has the potential to change everything. And my prayer for you and for myself is that um, we would not miss this redemptive potential, this news in our own lives. And for every person that we're going to come into contact with this holiday season, that instead we would make room and make a way for Jesus.